This is episode 125 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Your Tactical Training Scenario Naked Man Attacks the Family Dog Bugging Out from School Build a Kit and Make a Plan That Won't Get Your Kids Expelled and 30 Plus Uses for Salt Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to send out a big congratulations to my friend Mark Goodwin over at Prepper Recon. Uh, He had a little girl here just recently, so big congratulations, Mark. Uh, to you and your wife, and uh, I know that uh, your life is going. Your life is going to change, uh, so uh, for the better, definitely for the better. But it is going to change. So uh, you know, if you haven't visited uh, Mark's uh, podcast recently over at PrepperRecon.com, um, you know, go check that out. He does uh, he does talk a little bit about maybe some changes that he's going to be experiencing. Uh, one of the things that I'm like, man, you know, I, I definitely, you got to finish your books. <laughs> Whatever it takes, you got to finish your books. So, uh, again, congratulations, Mark, and uh, we wish you and your little girl and your wife all the best. We know uh, you're going to love her. All right, so we have some really great uh, articles for you today. Um, being that it's Friday, I usually pull one from the archives, and so I have done that today. But well, we're going to go ahead and start out. Uh, from or we're going to start out looking at the article from ActiveResponseTraining.net, and uh, again, it's called "Your Tactical Training Scenario: Naked Man Attacks the Family Dog." I always love these. Uh, I always love these articles because it gives you a little bit of insight uh, of what you know. Uh, you're thinking one way, and I think that's what's going to happen here on this one. Uh, you're going to be thinking one way, and then you're going to realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe the law might not look at this uh, the way that I'm looking at it. So let's go ahead and you know, let's uh, dive into this one. Imagine this scenario. It's 5 a.m., and you hear a commotion outside your house. You go outside to see that what's happening, and you see a completely naked man trying to choke your dog to death. What would you do? The homeowner in this instance shot the man in the leg and held him for police. Read more about it by clicking on the link below. Was the shooting justified? Would you shoot to protect your pet? The police detective acting as the spokesperson in this incident says it appears to be or quote it appears to be a justified shooting. End quote. Make sure you read closely to understand why it was a justified shooting. It wasn't because the homeowner was legally protecting his pet. In most states, it is illegal to use deadly force or force that is likely to cause serious injury or death to protect property. No matter how attached you are to a loving pet, that pet is not a person under the rule of law. It's property. You can shoot someone to protect another person. You can't shoot someone to protect a pet. There are exceptions. Some states allow deadly force to be used to protect property in certain situations. Check out your state's laws if you have any doubts. Castle Doctrine laws may also protect you if you shoot someone who is attacking your pet inside your house. Again, check your state laws. This shooting occurred outside the house. Why was it considered justified? Read the police officer's statements. Quote, 
At the point that the homeowner attempted to get this individual's attention, he immediately jumped on to the owner and started fighting with him, end quote. If you don't read the article closely, you might get the impression that shooting to save the dog's life is justified. It is not. This shooting was considered justified because the naked man attacked the homeowner. The homeowner shot to protect himself, not the dog. There's a big difference. I realize that many of you consider your pets part of the family. I also realize that you may consider the life of your pet more important than the life of a criminal who attacks it. I have a dog too. I truly understand. But the law doesn't care. Pets are property in most states. Understand this concept and don't risk going to jail for an unjustified shooting. If you are a pet owner, your homework assignment is to think about this scenario. What would you do in the event that someone attacks your pet? What about if another animal attacks your pet? Physical force, not deadly, is allowable under most states' laws. Are you physically skilled enough to defend your animal? If not, pepper spray or an impact weapon might make a better choice. Pepper spray works against most dogs. I carry it without fail whenever I walk my mutt. I'm less worried about being attacked myself, especially when while walking my a scarred up 75 pound rescue American Bulldog, but I worry about my dog being attacked by another pet. A quick blast of pepper spray will usually solve the problem with minimal chance of harm to either animal. I responded to two different calls in my police career about dogs attacking people. In both cases, I arrived quickly enough to see the attack taking place. In both cases, I drew my collapsible baton and started swinging. Both attacking dogs ran off and I was then able to aid the victim. In my admittedly small number of experiences, I found the baton quite effective. A nice cane or walking stick would be an alternative if collapsible batons are illegal to carry in your state. Either would also be effective and likely legal against a human attacker who tries to harm your animal. So there's a picture I'm uh, taking that it is... Uh, uh, the author of the the article with the uh, with his dog. So I, I think that's Greg with his dog there. So hey, that's pretty interesting, right? Because I know that there are a lot of animal lovers out there. Uh, you know, lately on the Prepper website, we've done some. Uh, you know, there's articles. I mean, articles that are written on you know a bug out bag for your dog. Uh, you know, how to provide for your dog, how to uh, provide for your your livestock and your animals, and those kinds of things. And so. Um, you know, that's definitely something that people, uh, you know, are, are, are going to defend, you know, they, they're going to care, they care about their dogs. I mean, people go to, we were just having this conversation, I, I believe with my mother-in-law with, uh, you know, people that spend all this amount of money on getting their dogs, you know, like $5,000, you know, getting them surgeries and stuff like that, that, uh, that they need and not even sure if that's going to really do the, do the, uh, the trick on what they need for their health, but uh, people are willing to spend you know, all that kind of money. And so you have somebody choking your dog, uh, you can bet that they're going to um, they're going to defend against it. So uh, something to uh, to consider there: using deadly force, using a pistol. Um, I'll be honest; I'm not up on the the laws there when in in the state of Texas, so I don't know where uh, where we fall there. 
I think we might be a little bit uh, better uh, than other states where, where that comes. But I like the uh, the idea of, to be honest, that collapsible baton. And I don't know if that's legal in Texas either. I know that they sell them at the gun shows, um, and I, I've seen them. Uh, you know, some of them are pretty. They look pretty sturdy, but uh, I don't know. I I want to say that I overheard someone asking one time if they were legal or not. Uh, or at least uh, for someone who's not uh, police uh, or police officer to uh, to have and to use, but I don't know. I, I just I haven't really followed that that one. But I thought that that was interesting uh, to uh, maybe have one of those. I, I was looking online. Smith and Wesson makes a, a nice collapsible baton that uh, for some reason you can't get it on Amazon, but you can get it at a lot of the uh, sporting goods stores. Uh, down here in Texas, we have, you know, Academy is a big store, and uh, you can find them there. So uh, I think for like $35 to $40, uh, to something to you might something that you might want to have in your in your car or whatever. So, I mean, that, you know, I start making jumps in, in, in my mind and start going, hey, that might be something to, uh, that you might want to have. But anyway, uh, very interesting there. I, you can see why I like these scenarios because they start to get you thinking. Uh, you know, you have to, only you can decide how far you're going to go with something like that. So some people would be uh, more than willing to go ahead and defend their dog with, even with a pistol or whatever it might be, and then wind up, you know, dealing with the consequences. And uh, it, for them, it would be very much worth it. So go check out activeresponsetraining.net and you can go read the actual article uh, that he's basing this uh, his article from uh, and read the account of uh, the police and uh, the victim or, or the, the the person who shot who protected his himself I guess not the dog but protected himself uh, from this naked man uh, and my thing is why is the guy naked that's just that's crazy that's weird all right <laughs> so we're gonna move on to the next one uh, the next one is something that I'm intimately uh, you know, uh, very interested in uh, bugging out from school, uh, building a kit that makes a plan that won't get your kids expelled. Uh, I want to go ahead and read this article and then come back and give some commentary on it. Uh, I think I think this is important. I think it's something to uh, to consider, and maybe some conversations. If you have kids that are in school, um, maybe after this article, there's some conversations you need to have with your kids, or even if you're a grandparent. Uh, and you have uh, some kids that maybe, uh, you know, your, your own kids will be okay with you talking to them about it, but, you know, maybe some safety concerns, safety issues, uh, you might want to talk with them about it. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. With back-to-school time approaching, have you ever thought about whether bugging out from school was something that your kids should know how to do? A few years ago, I posed the question, should your kids know how to bug out from school? And the answer to that questions were incredibly varied. Some parents said that their kids shouldn't be in public school in the first place, which of course was beside the point of the question. Others said that they absolutely had a plan in place for their children. Still others said that the very idea was irresponsible and that kids should be under the supervision of a responsible adult, particularly in an emergency situation. What this says to me is that every situation is unique. A lot of your de decision depends on your child, their ages, the faith that you have in your local school system, your location, and the most likely threat in your area. You'll have to put a great deal of thought into this before creating a plan with your kids. In this particular article, I'd like to put aside the homeschool versus public school epic rap battle and just focus on kids who are in school outside the home. 
what, why, would you, why would your kids be bugging out from school? In a world where kids are being constantly immersed in a culture of fear and school officials are becoming more authoritarian by the day, it is a very real concern that a lockdown could occur and you wouldn't see your children again until the, they were released at the discretion of those in charge at the school. There are all sorts of practices runs, practice runs guaranteed to traumatize kids into submission, including live shooter drills and evacuation drills. In the latter, the children are unexpectedly and quickly herded onto buses and sent to an alternate, alternate location. Michael Schneider gave numerous examples of situations in which school children were put on buses and sent to alternate locations without parental consent. Quote, during these drills, kids are not allowed to phone their parents, and parents are not even allowed to know where their children are in many cases. In some incidences, during which the school forewarns parents about the drill, the parents are told that they cannot pick up their children for any reason during the drill. Many schools now boast of having supplies to keep children at, their, at the school for 48 hours in the event of an emergency during which time the children will not be released to their parents. And it gets even worse. In the name of predictive programming, do you recall a drill during which the police took over a school and practiced fighting angry parents? I've been plenty annoyed at different schools my daughter has attended, but in no way have I been c compelled to attack the school, requiring SWAT teams to defend it against me and my band of likewise irate moms. End quote. This stuff doesn't just apply to kids in the public school system. Very rarely is a parent with a child 100% of the time every day of the year. Homeschooled kids go out on outings with, their, with other families, go to church functions, and attend enrichment activities. Whenever your children are not with you, a plan needs to be in place for their safety. For the record, this is also not just about defying perceived authority. Another scenario could be a major disaster during which your children find themselves without a responsible adult to turn to. Would they have the skills, supplies, and ability to get home or to a safe meeting place? Is your child mentally prepared to bug out? Each parent knows their own child the best. Not all kinds are not sorry. Not all kids are mentally equipped for a bug out situation. If you feel that your child would panic or your children are very young, this may not be a viable plan for your family. If your kid is the independent, competent sort, then it may be time for a discussion on determining a plan for when and how to bug out from school. If, out of the blue, the teachers just tell students to get on a bus and there is no compelling reason for them to be doing so, it might be time for your child to use his or her, or his or her own judgment on whether boarding that convenience is actually a good idea. This decision has to be based on factors that will be different for every household. Ask yourself these questions when developing a school bug out plan. Does your child have good judgment? If your kid is the type that is prone to panic and poor decisions, this might not be the best plan. But if you have a level-headed youngster who has a grasp on the reasons why they would need to bug out, it's definitely worth a discussion. How does your children, I'm sorry, how does your child know when it's time to leave? A degree of stealth is necessary to get away undetected. As well, not all situations require such drastic measures. You may feel as a parent that certain duty adults, sorry, that certain adults are more trustworthy and will be looking out for the best interest of your children. What about younger siblings? If there are younger siblings at the school, your older children will need to plan how to connect with them. Should older kids ab abort the bug out if they can't, can't connect with their younger ones? 
A decision should be made ahead of time whether or not older children should stay with their younger siblings in the event that everyone can make their escape. Where are your rally points? You need to set up a primary and secondary rally point where you'll meet your kids. This should be within a couple of miles of the school and it should be in a place where your children can stay hidden from a main road. The plan should always be to go to the primary rally point, but if for some reason that is unsafe or unaccessible, there should be a secondary rally point that is reached by a different route. Creating a specific route to rally points is vital so that you know where your child will be if you need to find them before they arrive at the meeting place. How will your child get to the rally point? It's time for your own drills. Practice getting there from the school. If possible, for reasons of safety and stealth, develop a route that does not use the main road to take them there. Hike or walk this route with your child until they are completely comfortable with it. In what situations should kids abandon the bug out plan? There are some situations in which evacuation is very necessary. For example, some places are prone to forest fires and you wouldn't want your child out on foot in such a scenario. If the school buildings were to collapse, it's obvious the children would be relocated to a safe shelter. This is the point at which your child's judgment comes into play. It is vital to discuss different scenarios in which evacuation is necessary. How to build a bug out bag that won't get your kids expelled. If your kids may be bugging out from school, it is also important for them to have the proper gear to take off on foot, as well as the ability to use all of it. You need Practice things like filtering water when you're together in order for a young person to feel confident doing so. Creating a school-appropriate kit can be tricky, however, since schools are prone to hysteria regarding anything that might be considered a weapon. Zero tolerance makes for a very restricted selection of items. A hiking pack. When my daughter attended a charter program, she kept a teeny tiny fold-up hiking pack in the bottom of her school bag. It's lightweight and will allow the user to keep her hands free on a long hike. Comfortable weather, appropriate footwear. Leave a pair of winter boots, sneakers, etc. at school instead of carrying them back and forth every day. Water filtration bottle. This all-in-one is inexpensive and easy to use and this personal filter can be used with any water container. At least one full water bottle but preferably two. Snacks like granola bars or energy bars. I, really advocate packed, I rarely advocate packed foods but cliff bars are made with pretty good ingredients, taste yummy and are uh, very filling. Weather appropriate clothing, snow gear, light hoodie, gloves, hat for sun, or warmth. A fire starter that won't get them in trouble. This fire still also has an emergency whistle. A space blanket. This kind is better quality and won't rip as easily as the dollar store kind. It can be used for warmth or as a makeshift shelter should your child be caught outside overnight. And a first aid kit. Band-aids are most for potential blisters. Check out these. Extra socks, dry socks are vital if your child ends up having to walk a long distance or in bad weather. Communications. I hate cell phones with a passion. I really do. However, if your child is in school much more than a mile from home, this is a quick link between you assuming that systems are still working. If you have a rally point where you can hide a small cache, consider putting a two-way radio there if it is within the range of home. Check out this excellent piece of family communication plans. A long-lasting mini flashlight. Nothing is scarier than being caught in complete darkness. A survival guide. My kids each carry this one and have for years. It has a broad range of information and can serve as a reference in a variety of situations. Remember, personal defense is frowned upon. 
If you think your child is mature enough to bug out from school, chances are you also believe he or she possesses the common sense to own personal defense items without accidentally shiving a classmate. However, schools tend to have a different opinion on this topic. Things like multi-tools, matches, lighters, or self-defense items are frowned upon and can result in enormous trouble from a zero-tolerance school system. That seems unable to differentiate between a tool and a threat. These are things you must take into consideration when choosing items for the emergency kit, and you have to weigh the pros against the cons. Only a few options exist that won't get your child kicked out of the school and served with felony charges by the overzealous justice system. The key is adaptability. If your child finds himself or herself in a survival situation, a little skill for imp improvisation can help. In a pinch, everyday objects can be pressed into duty for self-defense. To name a few items typically found in a classroom or a school bag, a ballpoint pen, scissors, heavy objects, any type of aerosol spray, hairspray, spray deodorant, etc. While these are far from the best self-defense items, they can be effective if wielded correctly. Some of these items can be kept in a locker or backpack and appear quite innocent until they are needed. Getting, up, getting your children trained in something like Krav Maga can be an even more efficient or effective way to teach them to protect themselves, and that is something that can't be taken away by an overzealous educator. In the name of some self-defense arts and crafts, my friend Grey Wolf, check out Grey Wolf Survival, told me about the mill wall brick. A very effective bludgeon can be created from a newspaper. This video shows you how to make one from a magazine. So there's a, a nice video there you want to check out. So talk to your kids. Whatever your feelings are about kids bugging out from school, these subjects can still bring up discussion points. Talk to your children. Make up scenarios and say, what would you do if? Brainstorm and discuss things to help them build a survival mindset. What do you think? Do you have your kids... Do you want your kids to bug out if they are away from home with an emergency, when an emergency strikes? Have you developed a, a plan? All right, so let's go ahead and talk to, about this one just a little bit here. Um, I'm, I'm kind of uh, I'm surprised there's no comp. Oh, well, it's loading. I'm sorry. The comments are loading. Um, I think I'm moving too fast. Um, okay, so wow I, I have a lot uh, to talk about and maybe I should have uh, stopped along the way okay uh, a couple of different things the first thing is is you know that I work in public education uh, I was a public school administrator uh, now I'm in the central office I run software uh, for the district but um, you know it was always hard for me to listen to other people uh, you know, just kind of jam public public education. And the thing that you have to remember here is that every school district is going to be different. So even here in in Houston, Texas, we have you know a bunch of big school districts. They're they're they all are going to work a little bit differently than others. Um, I like to think that ours is a little bit more conservative uh, than uh, others around. Like for instance, uh, Houston ISD, uh, ours is way more conservative, uh, but that's starting to change. I'm starting to see after 14, 15 years being here in the district, I'm starting to see, uh, see it change a little bit just with people's ideas and thoughts and, and different things like that. But for the most part, still very, very conservative. So that's something that you always have to keep in mind because uh, a lot of the times when you see a video on Facebook or, or you know on YouTube or you know you hear about something on the news, it's really some kind of crazy jacked up place. So the incident that 
um, Daisy was referring to here, uh, or that Michael Snyder was referring to, where uh, the school just kind of loaded up kids. Uh, I haven't ever heard of that happening again. I think the parents threw such a big fit that that won't ever happen again because that was done. Uh, I mean, when we move kids anywhere, we have to have a, a field trip permission form. And it doesn't matter where we're going, how nice it is, how much we like the kid. If we don't have a field trip permission form, they are not getting on that bus whatsoever because we are liable if the parents have not given us permission. So I think they probably caught a lot of hell on that one and probably haven't done it again. At least I haven't heard of them doing it again. But that's like a very rare thing. You know, I, I, I haven't, I didn't hear about that one, uh, like multiple people doing it. And definitely I know that we wouldn't do it. So uh, like, for instance, on my campus, if, if the school district would have come, and, and this is why I'm talking about it, every, every uh, school district is going to be a little bit different. Um, our campus has a lot of autonomy. So our principal is, uh, you know, the, the campus leader. They get to, to say a lot. I mean, there's some things that come down from the district, you know, some non-negotiable type things. But if the, the principal believes that whatever is going on is not good for her students, she calls that off. Right. And so I would never see in my school uh, and because I was very close to my principal, uh, something like this happening. I'm like, no, that's that's not cool. <laughs> that's not cool. We're not going to do that. Uh, you know, what? what is that? I mean, that's not something that's going to happen here. And I can see, you know, where I would have been able to have a little bit of influence on her to say, no, we're not doing something like that. But it, it would have never happened in, a, in my school district is what just trying to to get to. So. Um, Please keep that in mind. Uh, I am not downing homeschooling at all. Uh, homeschooling, if you if that's something that you can do and you do it well, do it well. I've talked about that before. Um, my experience with homeschooling, I've I've known some people that were off the charts with uh, their with their uh, cognitive ability, and so yeah, they were homeschooled because public school couldn't couldn't handle it. Right? Um, you know, my brother went to a school with a a guy at Rice University who was a very very smart guy, and he homeschooled for you know all his pretty much all his his schooling and went to high school like his last year for senior year so so he could experience prom. But he was just way off the charts. I, I, a teacher that I worked with was homeschooled, and she was very very smart. And so uh, you know you have that. But my uh, my experience with it as far as students was parents that would get upset and they would pull their kids out for whatever reason and they would take them home and they really wouldn't do anything with them and then bring them back in two or three months and uh, because Texas has such loose laws when it comes to that all you got to do is kind of write a letter and uh, they would bring them back and they were just so far behind and that caused so many other problems right so if you're going to homeschool homeschool right co correctly there are so many helps out there you know latch on to some of those and get some help and uh, I mean you you've got it I mean I, I think that is a great great thing uh, to do, but you know, if you're in the public school system and you have to use the public school system, my big advice would be to get to know that school, um, get to know that school inside and out uh, before the school year starts. Walk around that campus. Let your kids become familiar with that campus. Get to know the principal. Get to know the administrators. Get to know the teachers. Uh, you know, volunteer to be in that school. Um, you know, that that is um, that that's a big big deal right there. I mean, if if a teacher has a parent who is willing to come in every once in a while and help out, or is willing to take, uh, and I'm right now I'm referring to elementary schools. I'll I'll go into secondary here in just a minute. 
but let's just say teacher has a project, they need a little bit of help doing some stuff, and you're a parent who is willing to like, hey, I'll do any kind of little projects, cutting out things, whatever, you know, and, and they can send that to you. They, they, they'll they love you, you know, and, and so they'll always be there, and it gives you that extra connection with them. So, um, you know, get to know, um, and Daisy talks about that here in this article, get to know the, the school administrators, get to know them very well, go up there and volunteer if you can volunteer, uh, let them know you, communicate with them, and uh, let them know that you're there, right? I think that's very, very important. All right, let me jump to uh, secondary here just a little bit because this is a conversation that I've had with my kids before. Um, so I had the, the conversation before, like, hey, if you are in school and everything goes dark, so the lights go off and you look at your phone and the phone goes off, and nothing electronic is working, what do you think has happened? And so we've talked about that EMP aspect, right? EMP, CME, whatever. And, and so what are you going to do? You know, and so we've talked a little bit about that, and, I was not, and I've told them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up. I want you to, to, to leave your school, and I want you to come home. I want you to, to walk straight home, right? So that, is my, uh, that was my advice there. That was also my advice if there was a shooter in the, in the building, so we've talked about that before. So when Columbine, the year that Columbine, not Columbine, um, uh, the, the elementary school, doggone it, I'm, I'm forgetting it, uh, Sandy Hook. When Sandy Hook happened that year, I was, I, my principal had kind of turned over all school safety to me, and I was doing a presentation on, uh, on this, and I had teachers that were freaking out. They did not want to hear it, you know. I had one teacher literally cover her ears and put her head in her lap and say, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to hear this, okay. So then we had, and it was actually, Sandy Hook happened the day of our Christmas parties, and we were going on break. So we had so many things going on that people didn't realize what was happening in Sandy Hook. And so until later on, after parties were over and things were settled, settled down, I'm like, hey, wow, this happened. Uh, and uh, when we came back, we had a day of staff development. And guess what? Guess what we talked about? Guess what everybody wanted to talk about? Now they wanted to talk about, hey, well, you know, what do we do here? Because this happened. This wasn't Columbine. This wasn't in a high school. This wasn't, you know, somewhere far off. This was in an elementary. And so, you know, teachers, you know, their eyes were wide open now. So they were ready to listen. And so we came up with a plan. We came up with a very, very good plan. And so that's when we started talking about, no, this stuff about, you know, closing your doors and and we're we have open concepts anyway, so we don't really have doors to close. But um, the the idea was to keep all the kids quiet, try to go to a place that was totally dark so no one could see, and uh, turn off the lights. And I'm like, no, that's that's stupid, right? So it was finally is like you have our permission. You are an adult. You know what's best for your kids. You know what's going on. There might be situations where we can't come tell you what's going on. We might be in the front office. We might be dead. Who knows? But you need to make the decisions for your kids. So if you don't think that you want to hunker down and and uh, try to hide and you want to run and you want to go, then do that. So we we started talking about run uh, run, hide, fight, right? And we started talking about if you hear gunshots and they're on the other side of the school, yeah, go out the other exit, right? Get out. And we had a plan. We had a plan of where the school would exit and kind of go uh, through the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. 
So um, we talked about that. The next year, the school district came out with that run, hide, fight. And uh, so I felt a little, uh, I felt good that the fact that I was given good advice there, uh, that the, your first instinct should be to, to run. Uh, most people do not, most shooters, unless they are really trained well, um, are not going to hit a moving target. And even in Sandy Hook, I know I've talked about this before, and you've heard this before, but there was kids that went right past the shooter. Um, you know, they just, they just ran right past him. And of course, he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't shoot them. So a lot of people aren't going to be able to hit a, a moving target. So you are moving fast. You are running. You are getting out. Uh, you're saving the kids, and, and you're saving yourself, and you're getting you're getting out. That's that's that was the the goal. And so we talked about that. Hiding is the second uh, second thing that you could do, and then fighting whatever whatever you have uh, to fight with. Uh, you know, just don't go down. Just don't sit there in in shock while they shoot you. So uh, we've talked about that. So I've told my kids when they were in middle school and high school, if there is an active shooter and your teachers are telling you to, you know, to uh, to hunker down, um, but you think the, the shots are really far away, you just get up and run. You know, if they're telling you to hunker down, you get up and run and you have my permission to get out and run. Now, the the only thing that I would say on something like this, and, and we, even with the parents, like you have parents who say, no one's going to stop me from having my kids. I'm going to go up to that school and get my kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, so as an administrator, I had a walkie on me all the time, and my walkie was connected to uh, the police, uh, the, our district police department. There was an incident once where I had to call them because we thought um, a few years ago, and I, th- I guess it's still happening, people were stealing copper and stuff from ACs and, and different things like that. And a teacher reported um, a guy up in up on the roof. And so, like, you know, th- all this was fresh on everybody's minds that they were uh, stealing, you know, uh, copper and all this junk and wire. And uh, so I, I was on the opposite side of the school. I called... Uh, our district through our security channel, and by the time I got to the front of the school, and it's not a very big school, um, it it uh, they were there, and so so if you see if you know a police officer is being called to an active shooter situation, and they see someone just kind of like barreling out of the of the the school, uh, you know that's something to be concerned about because you know some a lot of the times they're going to shoot first. And then ask questions later on. If you're a parent and you're going up there causing a lot of trouble trying to get in and they're trying to deal with the situation, they might have to deal with you as well. Or if you're going up there and you are yelling and screaming and you are trying to pull down the door and saying, you know, get, let me in, let me in, they might think that you're the shooter. And so, you know, those things to just kind of consider there because I, I have heard people say, you know, hey, no one's going to stop me from getting my kid. You're, you're fine. You're right. You know, you, you have all that right that you want, but understand that you could be right in the middle of a situation where you wind up getting hurt or, uh, or, or you know, maybe even uh, getting arrested or maybe even, you know, worse than that, getting killed on that. So uh, I, I did give my kids permission for that. I, they did have phones. Uh, one of the things that I'm always fighting with um, with my kids and even with my wife is like have your phones charged. Have your phones charged uh, because the the main reason why you have those is for communication. It's not for playing games, not for Facebook or Instagram or any of that kind of stuff. But uh, the main point is that you have it charged so that you can communicate. That's why that's why you have them. And so uh, our first child, when he went to middle school, that's when he got his first uh, phone. So that we could communicate with them, and uh, it's kind of been that way ever since. 
where uh, you know that's that's important uh, to do. All right, so let's talk a little bit about. Um, I, I know the the bugging out and the and the cash and all that kind of stuff. So let me say this: most schools, you, you get think of it this way. If you are going to a special school that you're across town, or if you're going to a special school that uh, like a charter school or whatever, um, I think you do need to have like a rally point, right? But if you are most schools are neighborhood schools. So our our students that went to the, my campus, they were all in the neighborhood. I mean, they, they could just walk home, right, if, if they needed to. So um, when you talk about, you know, bugging out, uh, it, it really wouldn't even be bugging out. It would be just like leaving school and going home. And uh, so that's something to, to, uh, to consider when you think about where is your child's school in relation to your house. Now, what you want to do is you want to walk that, that route with them over and over and over again so that no matter what, they can get home. You know, if it's dark, if it's light, whatever it is, they can get home. So I think that's very, very important on, on, on that one if you are, uh, you know, regardless. Uh, my, my kids, even in secondary, the secondary campuses were a little bit further away but still, within definitely within walking distance. I mean, you know, you're not talking uh, a big distance. So uh, even elementary kids can do that. Kindergartners can walk, uh, can walk home. So something to consider. The bug out bag. Uh, I would not be putting uh, again because most schools are going to be just uh, a few minutes away from home. I would not be putting in things like. Uh, uh, fire steel and, and things like that, uh, ready to make, uh, you know, fire and water filters and stuff. I would, I like, um, water bottles in there. I would put two water bottles in there and I would tell my kids, Hey, you need to have these, uh, you know, don't, don't use these up. These are for an emer emergency. So have that in there. Uh, so water bottles in there. I think, uh, having, uh, socks would be good in there. Maybe a little poncho definitely would be uh, good. A cliff bar, would be good, and um, you know maybe a, a, a blanket, a space blanket if you didn't get them a poncho, uh, something like that. Again, the communications aspect of it, I think that's important there. Uh, and maybe uh, if you get a cheap flashlight, um, that might make them feel a little bit more comfortable. And maybe a little baggie with some band aids. Uh, it's it's a totally totally amazing how uh, a band aid fixes so many problems in especially in elementary school. Uh, so I, that's where I would go when uh, if I was talking about uh, a bug out bag or something in there. And, you know, when you really think about it, a lot of the schools do not check backpacks. Uh, when you're in secondary, sometimes they do have metal detectors depending on the school and the climate and all that kind of stuff. But uh, for the most part, in elementary, we, we never check backpacks. And uh, so I like uh, uh, the aspect of having a small little pack at the very you know bottom of your uh, of their of the kids' backpack that maybe has some survival supplies in there. So I think that's a, a good thing. There was one other thing that I wanted to share, and I it's it's I'm totally totally. Oh, okay. So let's just say <clears throat> there is a situation. You talk with your kids. Going back to that scenario that uh, Michael Snyder, that Daisy kind of quoted on Michael Snyder, uh, where um, a school took kids, you know, into uh, on a bus and took them to an undisclosed location. Uh, so you can have that conversation with your kids 
If, if you are going somewhere where you feel uncomfortable and the school is forcing you to leave, whatever, that they can leave. So, you know, you can't tell them that. Uh, they'll have to probably blast past teachers and, and things like that. But maybe as they're on their way to get on the bus, they just, you know, take a, a right and start running and, and head for the, you know, head for uh, the fence, you know. Uh, so uh, you have that there. So I've gone very, very long on this one, uh, almost, man, almost about 30 minutes on this one. But uh, a lot of stuff to consider. So if you're a parent, a lot of things to consider there. If you are a grandparent, you can share some of these things. And, and uh, uh, maybe if, you're, if your own kids don't uh, worry that you'll freak out your grandkids. Uh, and things to consider. I mean, you could maybe even create a little pack for your, for your uh, grandkids or for your kids and, and talk a little bit about uh, you know, what this pack means and, and uh, call it a survival pack or whatever. So anyway, that's, so that is um, bugging out from school. Build a kit and make a plan that won't get your kids expelled. And that's over at the organicprepper.ca, uh, Daisy Luther's website. All right, so let's go ahead and move on because, like I said, I am going really long here. Um, our last article comes to us from modernsurvivalblog.com. And this is one of those articles that uh, it's, I, I love these multi-use articles where you have, you know, uh, a few items and you can do all these different things with it. And so this one is 30 plus uses for salt. And so uh, there are a lot of things that you can do. So you might want to, just like all of them, you probably go back and visit this, this website because there are going to be some things that you might want to write down or just write them down. But uh, some good stuff here that might help you. So let's get started on this one. Uses for salt go beyond that of baking chemistry, food flavor, and food preservation, and it has a number of other additional uses. Remove rust. Make a paste using six tablespoons of Morton salt and two tablespoons lemon juice. Apply paste to rusted area with a dry cloth and rub. Rinse thoroughly and dry. Perk up coffee flavor. Add a pinch of salt to the coffee in the basket of your coffee maker. This will improve the coffee's flavor by helping to remove some of the acid taste. Dispose of disposal odor. To help remove odors from garbage disposals, pour half a cup of salt directly into the garbage disposal. By running the disposal following manufacturer's directions, you'll send those odors down the drain. Eliminate fish odors. Removing fish odor from your hands is simple with salt. Just rub your hands with a lemon wedge dipped in salt then rinse with water. Cut cutting board, board odors. To help cut odors off of your wooden cutting board, simply pour a generous amount of salt directly on the board, rub lightly with a damp cloth, washed in warm sudsy water. Hey, I had always heard that uh, wooden cutting boards are just kind of dangerous because things and bacteria can get in there in the wood and kind of uh, stay there. Uh, I don't know if that's, that's true or not, but just going to throw that out there. Soothe sore throats. To alleviate the discomfort of a mild sore throat, gargle several times daily with a mixture of one-fourth teaspoon salt and half a cup of warm water. It's like taking a liquid lozenge. Soak your feet. To prepare a salt water bath, pour six quarts or one and a half gallons of warm water in a large basin. Mix one-fourth cup of salt and one-fourth cup baking soda. Soak feet for up to 15 minutes. Boiling water. Salt added to water makes the water boil at a higher temperature, thus reducing cooking time. It does not make the water boil faster. Peeling eggs. 
Eggs boiled in salted water peel more easily. Testing egg freshness. Place the egg in a cup of water to, to which two teaspoons of salt has been added. A fresh egg sinks, a doubter will float. Cleaning greasy pans. The greasiest iron pan will wash easily if you use a little salt in it and wipe with paper. Cleaning stained cups. Rubbing with salt will remove stubborn tea or coffee stains from cups. Removing pine feathers. To remove pine feathers easily from a chicken, rub the chicken skin with salt first. Preventing mold. To prevent mold on cheese, wrap it in a cloth damped with salt water before refrigerating. Keeping milk fresh. Adding a pinch of salt to milk will keep it fresh longer. I did not know that one. That was a new one on me. Uh, relieving bee stings. If stung, immediately wet the spot and cover with salt to relieve the pain. Removing soot. Occasionally throw a handful of salt on the flames in your fireplace. It will help loosen soot from the chimney and salt makes a brighter yellow flame. Keeping cut flowers fresh. A dash of salt added to the water in a flower vase will keep cut flowers fresh longer. Keeping patios weed free. If weeds or unwanted grass come up between patio br bricks or blocks, carefully spread salt between the bricks and blocks. Then sprinkle with water or wait for rain to wet it down. Killing poison ivy. Mix three pounds of salt with a gallon of soapy water and apply to leaves and stems with the sprayer. Deodorizing shoes. Sprinkle a little salt in canvas shoes occasionally will take up the moisture and help remove odors. Save the bottom of your oven. If a pie or casserole bubbles over in the oven, put a handful of salt on top of the spill. It won't smoke and smell and it will bake into a crust that makes the baked on mess much easier to clean when it has cooled. Uh, that's a good one. I didn't know that one either or haven't ever tried that one. Clean a gunky iron bottom. Sprinkle a little salt on a piece of paper and run the hot iron over it to remove rough, sticky spots. Deter ants. Sprinkle salt at doorways, windowsills, and anywhere else ants sneak into your house. Ants don't like to walk on salt. Tame a wild barbecue. Toss a bit of salt on flames from food drippings and barbecue grills to reduce the flames and calm the smoke without cooling the coals like water does. Clean teeth. Use one part fine salt to two parts of baking soda. Dip your toothbrush in the mix and brush as usual. Scaling fish. Soak fish in salt water before descaling. The scales will come off easier. Non-stick pancakes. Rub salt on your pancake griddle and your flapjacks won't stick. Clothespins. Boil clothespins in salt water before using them and they will last longer. Melt snow and ice. Sprinkle salt on snow or ice to melt away. Clean cast iron skillets. Sprinkle salt in skillet and scrub. Remove onion smell from hands. Just wet hands with water. Sprinkle salt on your wet hands. Rub hands together as if washing them and rinse. Smell is gone. Snails in the garden. Sprinkle salt to kill snails. Add your own results uh, for salt. And uh, there's 35 comments in uh, the comments section over here. Um, this is, like I said, this is an older older article uh, from February 2015 so but uh, yeah go check out the uh, you know like I said I always say you can always learn a lot of information from uh, from comments uh, sometimes you can learn just as much from comments as you do from the actual articles so go check that out over at modern survival blog all right so I hope uh, 
I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Went a, like I said, went a little long on the bug out one, but I think schools are important, and it's definitely something that uh, I'm passionate about and have um, have uh, you know a, a lot of knowledge about in dealing with it. Not just uh, the fact because I was an educator, but uh, being able to uh, you know deal with uh, the safety part of it and all the other side. But kids are important, and we need to take care of our kids. And uh, so hopefully there was something there that you can glean from that and uh, and learn and pass on. All right. So I hope you have a, a great weekend. I hope you get to go out and uh, get some things accomplished and not just deal with uh, you know the whole rat race type thing. Uh, we've got some family coming in, so excited about that. Uh, you know, get to do some barbecue, go out by the pool, and enjoy some time outside and uh, some family that we haven't seen in a while. So I uh, hope you get that. Hey, if you uh, if you get a chance, come over to the the Prepper website podcast.com. I'd love for it for you to share out one of our articles uh, or one of our uh, uh, podcasts on social media. Uh, we make it really really easy for you to do that, and uh, so we really appreciate when people do that. And also, if you don't mind uh, dropping a, uh, a review on iTunes, that's always a, a big blessing for us as well. Hey, if you are purchasing any items through Amazon, uh, you know I don't I don't have any sponsors for the for the sh- for the podcast. I'm, I'm not trying to advertise it anything right now. I don't know what I'm going to do in the you know in the future. I'm not doing Patreon. I'm not asking for donations. But if you do buy some things, I'd really appreciate it if you would use our link. Uh, when you do that, it doesn't cost you anything else, but it does give us a little percentage of what you buy, regardless of what it is, whether it's survival or whether you're buying, you know, uh, you know, print cartridges. Somebody, somebody seems to buy a lot of print cartridges uh, going through Prepper website, and I, I really do appreciate that because that is a blessing. Uh, it's a little blessing. It all kind of adds up. So if uh, if you are buying anything from Amazon, uh, if you could do that, that'd be great. I know there's a lot of other great websites out there and great a lot of other podcasts that ask you to do that as well. And so if you need to spread the love around, I mean, go right ahead and do that. But uh, I'm, we're just grateful for for anybody that uh, can kick it back that way. Uh, you know, just uh, just just grateful. So thank you so much for that. With that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.